Chapter 7 of The Three Friends, A Story of Rugby in the Forties, by Arthur Gray Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 The Mutiny, 1848. My Sentence is for War. Again, an Easter quarter, with its hidden elements of danger. And this time the headmaster was absent from the helm, lying sick in bed of a fearful illness so that disturbances which he would have settled with a few words brought the school to the very brink of mutiny it happened in this way tradition is the great force in schools as in nations you wear a cap or colour you bow in passing under a doorway you press one blade of grass and avoid another because they your prehistoric ancestors once did it and so you having yourselves also done it will make it sad for fags and youngsters who refuse to do it, as boot and toe shall testify. But then, now and again, a great madness seizes upon the governed, and the traditions once gloried in, even by the youngest, become anathema to them, and revolution is at hand. Then fags who next to street boys have least power of concerted action, each loving most to bang his fellow's head against a wall or lamppost, begin to gather into groups and whisper. Yes, this eleventh plague, these steam sirens, these lower schoolboys whose noise disturbs your studious retreat, confusing the Ovidian purity of your Latin verse, bringing spondees in the wrong place in your Greek iambics, are now only too quiet. They are in their studies brewing discord and hatching conspiracy. So it was that Mackie, otherwise the midge, was heard at this time by the switcher at the passage fire outside his study, calmly discussing the question, how he would like to be sent away for licking a sixth fellow. It was too much. Ugh, with a roar like an Indian brave or a wounded tiger, the switcher dashed open his study door and pounced upon his unhappy victim. Poor, miserable midge. He was not destroyed, nothing can destroy a midge, but of that fearful moment between him and the switcher, he never spoke afterwards, but with bated breath, and awe-stricken solemnity. Such was the feeling among the fags, expressed also by rude sketches on the walls, in which the switcher often figured, with that favorite word beast attached to it, a term denoting all qualities which we most dislike, from awkward manners down to sheer ferocity. In higher circles of a more literary kind, there was a good deal of sympathy for the fags, and for revolution and chartism were in the air. They spoke of the sixth as the thirty tyrants, and darkly hinted at a rising. Above all, such feelings were favored by many in the fifth, where a movement for carrying sticks as a mode of self-assertion against the sixth had been lately put down by the headmaster. The fifth then voted that they would play no games, and sulked like Achilles in their tents. But after a while, finding that slow, they returned to their customary amusements, and waited their revenge. Consequently, they too were ready for a row. Thus, then, to the student of revolutions, it must be evident that the eternal elements of strife were gathering, and if sufficient cause should arise, that an outbreak was at hand. The cause was not long wanting. In a recent UKs, the wearing of light shooting coats had been forbidden. Decent black or subfuse coats were to be worn by all who gloried in the name of rugbyan. Accordingly, when a fag in a forbidden spot met a preposter, 
wearing the forbidden garment and was set at punishment by him he having all the grievances of his order in his heart refused to do it and in this refusal he was supported o tempora o mores not only by certain sixth fellows in his house who disliked the other sixth fellow but even let us hope only as a temporary measure by his housemaster so in plain language the fag snapped his fingers at the preposter intolerable they had already borne certain wrongs and indignities with only a murmur but now the old sick spirit rose up with a buzz like a nest of angry hornets and at a special levy it was decided though many of the wisest of them notably twining protested that the fag should be required to do the punishment on the ground old as the laws of lawrence sheriff that punishment first appeal afterwards was the ancient rule and order of the school consequently when the lines were not forthcoming the preposter sent for the fag and licked him and the sixth applauded it so here was a pretty quarrel fag on forbidden paths and preposter in forbidden garment both in the wrong housemaster forbidding punishment without speaking first to preposter manifestly in the wrong six levy with its rod damithi and justice of punishment first and appeal after in the wrong also most wrong of all the preposterous use of the cane forgive the pun to cut the gordian knot but now who out of all these wrongs was to make a right had the chief the trusted and loved headmaster been there he would have soon solved the difficulty he would have done as when the head of the school respectfully placed upon his table a coming notice big side jumping over x's land a neighbor who had roughly treated two fellows caught trespassing after calling over he would have said in his weighty manner leave the matter in my hands and i will see that justice is done and the quarrel would have been suspended but he was lying possibly at death's door unconscious of the struggle which had to run its course then followed in quick succession the unqualified refusal of the masters to recognize randomathean justice the degradation of the preposter and the rejection of the protest of the six leaving that respected body sore and angry and lowered in the estimation of the school and then amid the broken respect for authority and an absence of a strong ruler to avert the storm arose the vision of a mutiny why should there be a sixth at all why should they submit to petty tyrants who with grand airs could so abuse their power as to call down upon them rebuke and contumely from the undermasters if paris if berlin could have their revolutions driving out or scaring offensive rulers why should not rugby have at least a mutiny in arising was at this time when april tenth day famous in the annals of chartism had just passed and the ides of april were at hand that gordon and fleming were in the former's study discussing the situation they were young and were nobodies in the sixth but in a silent way had both equally supported twining but now that mutterings of the coming storm were heard they the dour scotchman and the genial southerner began to diverge gordon got him a thicker stick and drew pictures of a seven-headed hydra which hercules a stout youth in a neat tie and subfuse garment was about to strangle or decapitate fleming on the contrary voted the whole thing bosh and wondered what on earth they were all after when cricket was beginning 
and the old rugby and match was so close at hand. He yawned. Then a knock was heard, and O'Brien entered, his finger on his lips. Well, he said, bubbling with excitement, what do you think of it? What, they both asked, it will be the finest faction fight ever known, if it's not stopped, and I've engaged a window in New Passage, bless it, looking right down into the quad to see the fun. Hooray! A good fight! hoop de doodle do What do you mean? asked Gordon curtly. It's as much as my life is worth, replied the other, but for the love of the thing, a good fair fight and no favor, I'll tell you. And then he gave them, without details, a brief outline of the intended mutiny. No one knew when it was to be, but they all said that there was to be a mutiny to do away with fagging and all unpleasant things, and that the chief scene of it would be the school quadrangle. The rest was a mystery. And now, Flem, my boy, will you have my shillalie? It's well oiled. I did it myself. It's a fine implement, well handled, and I would not lend it to everyone, but maybe it will keep me out of temptation, if you have it. Not I, said Fleming. If there is a fight, I'll go into it naked-handed. But what can we do? The whole thing is so monstrous. I wonder, Pat, you can see any fun in it. Ah, replied the other, I've told them they're all fools and scallywags, but they won't listen to me. And then there is the fun of it. One part of my nature is just starving for a good fight. It's the forbidden fruit. Forbidden fiddlesticks, said Fleming, when you've got cricket and fives and the gloves and single stick, plenty of games and plenty of fighting, what can you want for more? They were only forbidden sometimes, O'Brien answered with a sigh. I'd like them better. Or if there were two forbidden fruits, I'd maybe keep straight. I'd be puzzled between them. But, oh, whoop, he cried, you can't alter me. It's a fair fight, and there'll be rare fun in it, and I've given you fair warning. And out he rushed, leaving, as Gordon said, a smell of brimstone behind him. Then, while Gordon finished up his hydra, one of whose heads was suspiciously like the master who had caused the trouble, Fleming went to look for Twining, then captain of the Eleven, whom he found conning a dirty paper in his study. Fleming told his story, only suppressing O'Brien's name, and said at the end, that's all awful rot, isn't it? Twining chuckled and rubbed his hands. I see, he said. It's like the old chap who wrote that mysterious letter which blew up the Guy Faux conspiracy. We'll do them. Look here, Flum. And he tossed him the paper contemptuously. That dirty thing was found in the clothes, and seems drawn up to show how they mean to do it. We're to be tackled separately by small groups of them. See, four of them against the switcher, four against Bullhead, and confound their impudence, only three against me. And Twining gathered himself up and looked dangerous. But then comes your story about the quad. How does that come in? Fleming looked interested. The spirit of his order woke in him. I have it, continued Twining. They meet in quad, listen to some beastly demagogue, and then disperse to seize us in our studies while we're learning second lesson. By Jove, yes, that's it. A clever plan. Too clever by half for them. There's a lot of those fifth fellows at the bottom of it. You take your oath. He stopped and thought a moment, then went on. I say, Flem, my boy, it's a rum place, this, where we've got to put down a school mutiny off our own bat. If Tate were well, of course we'd go to him. He'd hit it off at once. But hang it, no, we can't go to the masters. They're all divided. Besides, if those fellows go for us, of course we must go for them. Only natural. 
and moreover it may be nothing after all and we should look precious fools if we'd gone whining to the masters about nothing so i'm off to see some of our fellows and make all ready and meanwhile not a whisper of all this mum's the word fleming nodded it's a risky game added twining but we're disciplined and they are not and not one of them can be trusted as a leader then once more the young captain transformed from a moderate into a leader rubbed his hands and said well after all we've got first innings we ought to win two days after as fleming was coming in from first lesson to breakfast a note was slipped into his hand it ran as follows look out for yourselves in quad nine o'clock hooray there was no signature and the writing was feigned but fleming divined the author rushing up therefore into the room where the six fellows in the house were sitting down to breakfast he told his story and as twiny had prepared them they were at once eager for the fray however breakfast first and fighting after was the word while twining grasped a butter roll and munching as he went set out to collect his forces they sat down and ate as boys always would eat even if chaos were at hand then as the great school clock struck nine they adjourned into the quadrangle stick in hand only gordon paused a moment on the way to lock o'brien into his borrowed study and then rejoined his friends the strange scene the quad was crowded in the main by lower school small boys but with an admixture of older and bigger fellows and all these were by consent gathering towards the school pump from which spot an oration or word of command seemed to be expected but then in a lucky moment lucky in the cause of law and order appeared suddenly the most unexpected and inconvenient body thought to be at breakfast of preposters few at first their numbers constantly increased as twining's detachment came in and in point of stature discipline resolution they made a formidable appearance so at least thought the school who from facing pumpwards to listen to their tribune faced eastwards to see their enemies awaiting them and evidently did not like the look of it this was not what they meant the secret arrest of their much dreaded enemies in their studies by selected champions was one thing the hand-to-hand -hand encounter with that determined force led by two prominent sons of anak the best forwards in football and all armed with sticks was quite another and they felt they had been mistaken then said old bumper one of the sons of anak let's go among them and in loose column they moved about amid the crowd the jokes and criticisms usual on such occasions coming wholly from them and not from the crowd then said the son of anak again with the cheeriest of voices let's leave him for a bit and give him a chance ah and these greater boys full of the fun of it wheeled out of the quad at one gate going round by the dunchurch road and returning at the other but still there was the same inaction the same reluctance to begin then rain began to fall and with an illusion much enjoyed by both sides to a similar occurrence on the great april tenth when drenching rain damped the ardour of the chartists the two leaders led their followers into the cloisters and there walked about two and two till the danger was over of this indeed if fully faced there never had been much the school had no real grievance and the whole thing was got up by a few ringleaders when the absence of other amusement and the dull season thus found a vent for high animal spirits and a taste for melodrama 
only one or two minor incidents remained to be noted there was one angry moment when a slight tumult arose near the schoolhouse door which was dissipated partly by the cry of tate tate a reminder of the danger of noise to him in his critical condition partly by a dashing inroad of a newly arrived master who was gathering his flock into the big school and who chased Mackie round one of the great pillars to the cloisters this incident was much relished and even cheered like the chase of a small larrikin by a big policeman and the proceedings ended in laughter and good temper that evening o'brien who had raged like a caged lion in his locked study as the battered door attested was full of angry denunciation against the mean-spirited creatures who had missed so fine an opportunity though loud in his admiration of the switcher did you see him there buttoned up stalking about alone spoiling for a fight while you were gathered in your thousands wasn't he grand ah if i hadn't been bottled up there i'd like to have had a word with him myself he was however much comforted later on when a lively description of the row sent by him to his grandmother drew from that good lady a letter full of encomiums she was glad to hear he was at last growing so peaceable and orderly and enclosing a five-pound note from which he regaled his two friends in a scrumptious feast of sausages and oysters he never knew till long after who it was who had imprisoned him and the old question once debated in a great school in the north how many irish boys would wreck a school had no fresh light thrown upon it on this occasion and then as time the great healer and all reconciling cricket began to exercise their usual influence friendly contests with the sweet click and impact of bat and ball took the place of the late heated controversies and when tate then happily recovered walked round the close one bright summer evening leaning on the arm of his devoted wife who had nursed him through his danger down went bat and ball and while caps flew into the air a roaring cheer went up from three hundred voices of welcome and affection till then he had been respected but not loved but from this time till the day when the horses were taken out of his carriage and he was drawn down in triumph to the station the affection for him went on steadily increasing and became a real power and source of influence in the school years afterwards when at fulham he discussed what had happened at rugby during his illness it amused him to hear details of the abortive meeting from one who had been present and his remark that after all it was easier and safer to be a bishop than a headmaster may show his feelings of the risks and burdens of the latter life in which you are always sitting as it were on a volcano and have to do everything up to time well or ill even to a minute End of chapter seven